This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, before the episode starts, I want to let you know it is brought to you by the new comedy web series called Howard's Hot Roommate. So let me pose you this question. What if your new roommate was the woman of your dreams? Would you be cool? Not Howard. Would you be tough? Not Howard. Would you be sexy? Definitely not Howard. Howard's Hot Roommate starts Timothy Honor, Stephanie Maloof, and more importantly, was created and written by Earwolf's very own John O'Cohen, which he's a friend of mine. I work with him. Great dude. You can check out all six episodes of Howard's Misadventures now at meethoward.com. Go to meethoward.com and laugh. I enjoyed it immensely. So here, here's the show. Everybody and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time, thank you. Welcome. All of the other fellow shows in this Jabberjaw Media Network are all pointing my direction this week and uh, hopefully channeling some of those people over to uh, check out the show for the first time. So if that is indeed your first time, welcome. You got like, uh, I don't know hours and hours and hours of audio enjoyment for you to plow through. Uh, And that's one of the things that I love about this show is that obviously you can listen to a show that's three years old and still find relevant and interesting tidbits that you can apply directly to your life or just cool stories. So the premise of the show is basically I, uh, I walk a lot of people through their life that have been profoundly influenced by independent music. These are either people who are touring currently and releasing records currently, working at record labels, like basically as long as there is an attachment to this beautiful DIY, punk, hardcore, indie, whatever describer you would like to put on it, then uh, yeah, I'm interested in speaking to you. So that is that. And uh, please, I know some of you have asked me a question on social media in regards to what is this Amazon affiliate thing you're talking about? Straight up, it's the simplest thing that you can do to support the show, besides those of you who are very kind and donate on either monthly or just once in a great while, you pop onto the 100wordspodcast.com page, and then you see a little button on the right side that says donate, so that's another way that you can contribute to the show. But if you don't want to shell out some of your hard-earned cash, basically everybody in this entire planet shops at Amazon. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make an assumption that you do as well. So all you do pop into the show notes of this particular episode, and then you'll see a nice little hyperlink. You click on that hyperlink and save that to your computer, phone, whatever. And then at that point, all you do is log into your Amazon account as you normally would. And then basically we get a kickback. It's like 4% of whatever it is that you're buying on it. And trust me, I don't get to see what you're buying. So I'm not going to like, you know, play big, brother government on you and be like oh wow look looks like you're buying a few too many video games on amazon (laughs) so anyways that's just a way that you can support the show so please do that and uh yeah i again you don't need to pay any money for it it's it's free your your cost is no different than what you normally would do on your normal amazon shopping trip but anyways enough shameless promotion you're here to listen to a conversation with Allison Weiss. Allison Weiss is a very, very talented, prolific song writer. I was going to say singer-songwriter, but I sometimes feel like those... Uh, I, I don't know why it's a pejorative. Like, some people are just like, oh, yeah, singer-songwriter, like, cool. It's like they either think that there's some person in a corner of some Barnes & Noble coffee shop or whatever, um, or are just doing some really, really 
you know, depressing music. And Allison is basically the antithesis of that. She is a, a joy to be around. Um, her and I have known about each other for quite some time, but never actually met until this very moment when she walked into my house and we did, uh, we did this nice interview. So she was great. And, um, I, she has this kind of uh, infectious enthusiasm that uh, not only is translated through her personality, but her music as well that kind of makes you be like, you know what? The world isn't such a bad place. Like I, I, I get a little Elvis Costello vibe that she has going on in there. Um, and then obviously she comes from the sort of, you know, punk and hardcore scene that a lot of us uh, know what's happening with. So yeah, anyways, I'll let her do all of the speaking and... Um, after we're done with this episode, you'll hear a little bit more uh, about some more context of the interview. And then, um, yeah, and then you'll go about your merry day. So, uh, yes, thank you very much for listening. And here's my conversation with Allison Weiss. And shout out to Jamie Coletta from Side One Dummy for helping coordinate this. She is a great human being, and she also uh, is a champion for this podcast. So thank you very much, all of you fine ladies. Let's I'm do this. A sucker for an aching heart, gotta suffer. For the sake of art And I want you Cause you make it hard I want you Cause you make it hard It's a pattern What are some of your favorite podcasts? Um, I love Pete Holmes You made it weird Um, uh, Radio Lab, This American Life, Serial You know, all the NPR stuff The hits The hits Sometimes I'll be able to listen to Mark Maron, but I kind of hate him, so it's really hard for me to listen to him because he, he's really—he's an acquired taste. I mean, I'm definitely. like a total devotee where I listen to every single one of his shows. Yeah, but like he has the best guests, so I'm always—I'm tr- always like, I'll give it another shot. I'll give it another shot, and then I'm just right. like, oh, he's so—he's so annoying. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people definitely have to do the uh, prerequisite fast forward his own like intros. Oh yeah, and it, but it's like I—I I don't know. For me, it just crossed over a point where I was like. Oh, like I'm I'm okay with it. I've I've grown accustomed to him like an old pair of shoes where I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, that like whatever. The sh- the, the toe is worn out and that kind of hurts and I get that. But it's like for other people who are just like, yeah, he's annoying. I'm like, yeah, I can't disagree. Yeah, right? That's everybody I know who loves his show. They're like, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, yeah. It's like you either you either get used to it or you get to a point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I usually start these things off into my own sort of uh, entry point, as it were, to kind of you and mm-hmm. your what you've been doing. Um, I mean, I got I got keyed into you um, via like basically once. I mean, obviously once you became part of the no sleep <laughs> ecosystem, but yeah. then prior to that, it was just the. Um, I always find it so interesting when people are kind of you know thrust into some sort of position of limelight, where it was like obviously with all your your Kickstarter stuff and then oh yeah yeah. So it was one of those things where it was like, I could tell you were obviously cut from the independent music cloth as far mm-hmm. as like being a part of a scene, so to speak, mm-hmm. and not um, not just like, hey, I'm a singer songwriter trying to like make it on Kickstarter or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I could tell it was one of those things where it was like, was that just like a total fish out of water experience for you? As what far do you as mean? like, as far as like the uh, once the sort of mainstream attention started to come, like you know, Wired and New York Times and all these people started to pay attention to the Kickstarter project that mm-hmm. you did for your first um, release and. Was that just a weird experience of kind of like, why are these people, I mean, you get why these people are paying attention to you, yeah. but then at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, like, I, you know, did you feel like you had to like act differently or like, like oh no, not at all. I feel like, cause like before I did the Kickstarter project, I was already, um, you know, like building a fan base online cause I was in college and I couldn't tour. Right. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, um, use Tumblr all the time and like, you know, post on the internet and, 
and make videos for YouTube, which it's funny because people sometimes refer to me as like a YouTube person, but I ha I don't think I've made a YouTube video that's not like putting my music video on YouTube in like, I don't know, six years right. or something like that. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. When I made YouTube videos, I was like a teenager, literally. Um, but yeah, so the Kickstarter thing was like this brand new website and I saw a friend of mine use it to fund her book. She raised like 600 bucks to like print a book. And I was like, oh, that's, that seems like maybe a cool way to, you know, pay for the pressing of my CDs that I'm going to make anyway. Right. Um, and then I put my project up there and all these fans that I had gotten through my, you know, Tumblr and YouTube days all donated and next thing I knew I was like on their front page and they were freaking out about it and like uh also it was like since Kickstarter was brand new there were other people doing projects at the same time too and it was like the first time anyone had ever crowdfunded anything right so therefore you have like your New York Times and your Wired and those people being like what is this new thing how did you do it you know right right um but it wasn't weird. It was just sort of like, oh, yeah, this is a cool brand new thing. I'd love to talk about it. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah, I guess it, it definitely, I mean, f from a person that's looking at that time now, it's definitely one of those things where it's like you see the, whatever the expression goes, like the, you know, the, the high tide raises all ships where it's just like mm -hmm. if people were paying attention to the platform and then by default were obviously paying attention to the fact that you were being successful at that. So yeah. it was kind of like a, a confluence of events where it was yeah. like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, the... I think it was funny, the, well, not funny, but just, like, really interesting, obviously, when you did the whole South by Southwest and, you know, speaking next to the, you know, the, the founder of Kickstarter and yeah. stuff like that, where it was just, like, you know, obviously, like, six months or a year after that fact, mm -hmm. like, that probably would have been less accessible for people, like, you know, for, I mean, since more projects started to get funded and everything Oh, yeah, like absolutely. That. I mean, part of the reason I feel like that, you know, I was doing interviews and and people were... Uh, talking about my Kickstarter in particular is because I later found out that I was the, I guess the first person that Kickstarter didn't know personally to like use their site. Like the story uh, right. that um, Yancey, the Kickstarter founder guy, he um, always tells is like they were all sitting around the office and suddenly this project popped up and everyone was like, who is this girl? Who knows her? Does anyone know her? And they're all like, I don't know her. Do you know her? I don't know her. Do you know her? And then they were like, we have a new, we have someone who's never heard of us using the site. And they were like, all excited, and I guess they hadn't yet designed the bar to go past 100% because uh -huh. they just hadn't had anybody go past it yet, <laughs> sure. I guess. So they saw my project like creeping towards 100%, and they're like, oh, shit, we better get the developers on this to <laughs> right. make sure this bar can go past 100%. Um, so I think when, you know, when they started getting contacted about Kickstarter, they would point people to me as one of the projects because they were so excited about it. Right, right. Yeah. Wait, how, like... In, in the process, like how, when did they, when did they actually re, like reach out to you to be like, hey, <laughs> it, we don't know you? Or was it just one of those things that you, once the project was successful, that's when kind of they reached yeah, out? Yeah, it was kind of like right away because my project, I funded it, you know, within 36 hours or something. It was like tripled from what I wanted to raise. Right. And the funny thing about it now is like I only raised a little under eight grand, right. which in the grand scheme of Kickstarter now is like pennies. Yeah, that's considering like you have people like Zach Braff or whatever, and yeah. like you know huge tech companies raising millions and millions of dollars. I was just like a kid who raised who wanted two thousand dollars to press her CDs and ended up getting eight thousand dollars. Totally, you know. Um, and and people are still talking about it, obviously years and years later, just yeah. because it is such a. It, because I just think it's so uh, it's so emblematic of obviously like that time, but the just then the idea that 
someone such as yourself can obviously be able to piggyback such a, a, a wave and be able to obviously open yourself up to so many people that, you know, frankly, weren't you know, maybe even paying attention to music. Like, you know, yeah, just absolutely. Like, oh, wow. Like, th- I really like this girl. Like, you know, it's like Alison Weiss is next to their, you know, whatever, th- two or three other <laughs> pieces of music that they own, you know, just yeah. because of that general attention that was paid to you and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. Um, so you... Were you born and raised in the South? Like, I mean, in, in Georgia or where in particular did you I come up? I was born in Michigan. Um, okay. My parents moved down to Georgia when I was like five. Okay. So I grew up in Flowery Branch, Georgia. Right. Which is a beautiful, ter- beautiful name. Beautiful name. So beautiful. <laughs> it's uh, like an hour north of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. And what, what precipitated the move down South? Was it just like job and different situations? Um, they didn't want to live in the cold weather anymore. They liked Georgia. They moved to Georgia. Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it definitely seems... I mean, obviously, it just seems random where it's just like, besides yeah, right? the weather transition, they'll be like, hey, let's end at this spot in Georgia. Like, yeah, right. You had no family there or anything like that? Uh, my mom had lived down in Georgia a little bit before and they had visited and they thought it was nice. And it was like, the weather's nice here and it's not too hot like Florida. So we're just going to stop in Georgia and stay here. Right. Yeah, that's literally it. It was just like, the weather's nicer than in Detroit. So let's move to Georgia. Sure. Yeah. Do you have any memories of Michigan? Oh, yeah, totally. All my extended family lives in Michigan, and I used to spend summers up there hanging out. And I really liked it because it was where I, in Georgia, I lived in a pretty rural area where you can't get anywhere unless you have a car sure. or old enough to drive. Um, where, I grew, where I hung out in Michigan was like sidewalks and kids riding their bikes and, you know, the sort yeah. of thing where like my cousins and I could go out on bikes with no adult supervision and like ride around town and that sort of stuff and like right. go get ice cream or like <clears throat> go to the. You know, CVS and buy shitty toys and that sort of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's cool that you got, obviously, those experiences because I think so many people that obviously are brought up in, in larger cities, like, never visit a rural area. You yeah. Know, like, never experience what it's like to even just spend, like, you know, a week in a town that has a population of, like, 4,000 people, you mm-hmm, know? Because mm-hmm. I think I, I always spent, I spent a lot of time, my stepfather was raised in a small town called Farmington, Illinois, which nice. is, like, an hour and a half south of, like, Peoria. Um, which is basically just in the middle of Illinois. Um, and it was, and always being like being raised in Southern California and like Las Vegas, it was always such a weird experience for me to be like, Oh, so like, what do you, what do you do all day? Well, you just kind of walk around outside. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just like make your own fun. Yeah. Well, like my brother and I would always like dress up like baseball players and play baseball in the backyard. Or like we had a friend who lived across the street and his dad used to be in the army. So we had all this old like camouflage stuff. Right. And so we would like put on like full, soldier regalia or whatever and then like run around the neighborhood and spy on people and just like yeah make up games yeah exactly we like go in the woods and like make a fort and pretend that we're like in the army or something so that sort of stuff is really fun yeah absolutely and then like the the people that don't have that experience it's like you know they there's the notion where it's whatever. It's like once video games started to come into play in kids lives like you know we're around the same age so it's like the there's that that idea that it's like, oh yeah, well, like you don't exhibit creativity and stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. like there, there's there's that delicate balance of it's like it's not bad to play video games, but like you know you should also like get outside. Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And have that like that that creative spark of doing stupid shit, like you know running around a field and stuff like that, and pretending to play army. Like that's yeah, you know, it gives you a nice balance. Yeah. Um, and so, you, was your brother older or younger? Younger brother. Okay. I have two brothers. I have one who's seven years older than me and one who's two years younger. Okay. So, it was mostly me and my younger brother, AJ, who were running around. Sure. Because, yeah, your older brother was like... Oh, he was, like, in high school and, like, going to college and stuff. You know right. what I mean? 
So I'm not going to play with you guys. It's yeah. like, <laughs> you, you guys are your own, your own clan. That's fine. I'll, I'll be doing my stuff over here. Yeah, totally. Um, and so then as you, uh, as you started to kind of, you know, build an identity and start to figure out who you were or whatever, and, you know, elementary, junior high school and stuff like that, what sort of, uh, what sort of person did you find yourself being? Were you attracted, you know, did you try sports? Like, where did you gravitate towards as you I was, do stuff? Well, all this talk of playing outside, when I got to be like 12 or 13, we got a computer and the internet started to get popular. Sure. It's so crazy to be like, and then we got the internet right. and it was crazy. And then the dial-up modem started to happen. Exactly. Um, and so I was like a computer kid and I was also an art kid. I wasn't yet playing music. I definitely wasn't playing sports. I was like too afraid of sports because I didn't want to get hurt. I don't know. I was, sure. I was a nerd. Did you, um, well, did you, did you ever, like, did your parents ever, like, you know, I wouldn't say force you, but I'd be like, hey, you're going to play, you know, softball, or you're going to do this? Like, no, not at all. They were kay. like, do your own thing, whatever. Also, <laughs> I was always, like, drawing and making things out of clay and just, like, creating stuff, so they really, like, um, you know, facilitated that side of me. Of Got like, it. you want more art supplies? Here's more art supplies. Make stuff. Just keep making stuff. Um, and I got into, like making stop motion movies in my early teens because my parents had like a camcorder and I would just, you know, press record and then turn it off. And then I'd make this like really janky, you know, stop motion videos of my stuffed animals doing stuff around the house, like very solitary, making stuff all by myself. Sure. Kind of getting, getting the stuff in your head out in whatever fashion you possibly could. I'm going to spend the next six hours making my stuffed rabbit walk across the room. You know what I mean? (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) The, uh, and so it's cool that your parents keyed into your creativity. Yeah. What uh, what did they what were they doing for work and stuff like that? Uh, my dad owned a business back in Michigan that he still owns, like a, a wholesale flower sales. Oh, okay. Um, and so he always ran that from Georgia, and then would go up to Michigan for business trips. You know, whenever he had to. Got it. Um, so that was cool. So it was like I had a stay at home dad. My mom was pretty much a stay at home mom mm-hmm. um, until at one point she went back to school for a while. She was maybe going to be a nurse. Didn't end up doing that because she didn't want to be in school for a thousand years, yeah, which I course. totally get that. I'm like, why would anyone ever go back to school? <laughs> right, no, I, going back to school is great. Yeah. Uh, I just can never go back to school. I'm sure. so glad that school is over. Yeah. Um, but my mom was also a professional tennis instructor. So that was oh, cool nice. Too. So she was like teaching at the college and teaching private lessons for people. That's awesome. Yeah. But but she never was like, hey, Allison, how about how about you take the racket and try that? No, they tried to get me to play tennis a lot. My whole family likes to play tennis. And I've, I'm like not bad at tennis, but I'm just super out of practice. I'm not great. Sure. I like it now more than I liked it then. I played it in like, you know, eighth and ninth grade. And oh, okay. And that was pretty much it. And I was sure. like, I'd rather be on the computer building websites. Right. You know? it, it also tennis in the same fashion like I'll, I'll identify with you and like i loved golf and like played golf in high school and everything mm-hmm. like that those those are not cool sports like from the sort of mainstream perspective oh yeah yeah totally <laughs> they're not like yeah because yeah. you're not on a team and it's not like you get to go well i guess tennis you're technically on a team but it's not the same type of team no not at all there's no teamwork happening no. <laughs> you know what i mean if if you fail it's solely on your shoulders yeah you you did not perform. There's, yeah. there's definitely never. Uh, oh, you'll get you'll get pulled out because you've been playing bad. It's like, well, no, you got to finish. Yeah, you got to finish that match or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You have to finish. Like, oh my god, <laughs> so many rounds of being awful. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, my dad. It's. Uh, I always think of him as working just because he was always doing. He's like a fix it kind of guy. Okay. Like a he like you know th- we had we lived in a subdivision. That had like grass that needed to be cut and landscaping that he's needed got to be projects. done. Yeah, and he was like, he he saw that the subdivision was like hiring somebody else to do the landscaping, 
And then he was like, I think I can do a better job at this landscaping. So, like, my dad was, like, our neighborhood grass-cutting landscape guy. Sure. Which is funny because he's, like, a businessman. Right. But then he'd be out there on his riding lawnmower, like, cutting all the grass and pruning all the trees and that sort of stuff. That's amazing. Well, it's, it sounds very much like the a practical application. He's like, there's a problem. Yeah. I have the skills to potentially solve this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not going to let somebody else, like, step in and do that for me. It's mm-hmm. like, no, I... I I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, obviously, I can see uh, shades of that within what you've done. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I get. Uh, I feel like um, my mom, she loves to paint and stuff, and she's more of like the, um, I just make art because I love to make art. Mm-hmm. And my dad's the kind of guy where he's like, you have a skill? How can we market this? He's like the, sh- like the Shark Tank guy. Of course. And so I feel like I'm sort of... I mean, I'm 50-50, both of them. Yeah. I well, love to make art because I love to make art, but also at the same time, I'm like, you know, I'm you always cooking, practical, cooking up ideas on how to, you know, further my career and do the business part of it all. Of course. Well, I think that, that I mean, it's such an important point because I think so many people um, don't don't put any sort of premium on that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, cause it, whatever, when you're 14, 15 years old and starting to play music or in a band or whatever. You know, you're not thinking about it in terms of like, oh, I'm the business person, but you're just like, oh, I want to book a show and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, then, it, but if you don't have one person taking responsibility of that, it's like you don't you don't go anywhere. Like, yeah, you, that you, was always me. I was the one who's like, you know, maintaining the MySpace and booking the shows and building the website and designing the album covers and that sort of thing and like keep in so so that whatever project I was involved in was more than just you know dicking around in a bedroom right right just an idea because there's so many people where it's just like you have an idea but then obviously it's about the execution of said idea mm-hmm. it's like even mm-hmm. if it fails like well you still execute it in some capacity yeah totally <laughs> you gotta try it yeah um and so then when did uh when did kind of independent music start to be introduced to your you know ecosystem was it through was it through friends was it through obviously the internet by that time um uh, i started playing music when i got into high school i had sort of started i i like knew a few chords on the guitar because my dad plays music and there were always guitars around in the house and like he taught me how to play a couple chords when i was in you know like fourth fifth grade and i didn't really care i was like this is kind of fun but whatever i'm right i still want to be a cartoonist you know uh and then i got into high school and i like had all these feelings because i was a teenager sure and um i had a crush on someone who played guitar and who was like into punk rock and so i was like i'm gonna learn how to play guitar i'm gonna impress this person and so then i started playing guitar and like learning songs and then with that came like writing my own songs because i I don't know. It just sort of happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When did, uh, I, I presume, because obviously since you're in such a rural area, like mm-hmm. there was no immediate access to like shows and bands coming through. But you probably had to like travel to, to Atlanta. Yeah, I presume, definitely. We had like an awful music scene. There was like one other band at our school. And like, of course, everyone thought that they were so cool. Of course. But, like, because there's no competition. When you're the only band, you're the best band. Of course. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you dictate everything that, that happens in that world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there were no, there was no such thing as like a local sh- show situation or a local scene. When I was 15 or so, um, there was a coffee shop that I used to go to in Gainesville, Georgia, which was not as far as Atlanta, but still about a half hour from me. And they had shows all the time. So I knew that there was this music scene, but it was not accessible because I couldn't drive yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every time I could convince my parents or I could hitch a ride with a friend, I would be up there. 
and there was like hardcore shows and ska shows and um i remember norma jean used to play in the back of his place and it was just like a coffee shop and they had a room in the back Mm -hmm. that was like unfinished and they would have shows back there um and the memory now of it is just like all blurry but i remember like you know you had your emo kids and you had Mm -hmm. your like super punked out mohawk kids and then your ska kids or whatever, and I was just like, this place is magical. All I want in the whole world is to have a band and to play a show here. It was called the Penny University. Um, and then as soon as I got my driver's license, shut it down, oh. turned it into a yoga studio. Oh, no. And there was nothing that replaced it. Nobody cared to, like, open up another thing. Right. I guess it was just, like, too much trouble because they were always getting, you know, the cops were always coming because it was sure. too loud and kids were hanging out on the sidewalk and they're like, we don't want you hanging on the sidewalk. Um so then at that point, the only place I could go see shows was in Atlanta at the Masquerade. Right. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is like... The, the he- heaven and hell. The heaven, hell, and purgatory. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the hauntedness that comes along with that venue as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Where you walk in there and you're just like, I don't know. Like, especially hell and purgatory. Like, heaven seemed like a venue. But like yeah. the other ones were just kind of like, is this supposed to be here? Like, yeah. Totally. I don't even remember them having shows in purgatory when I was in... Yeah. High school, I feel like Purgatory was always where there was like a weird dance party, right? Like a goth dance night. <laughs> it's true. And yeah, you yeah. would just like walk past that door and be like, "I don't want to go in there. I'm going to go upstairs to my Hawthorne Heights show, totally, and not look at Purgatory because something's weird happening in there." Exactly. You know how, they, I mean? how they how they divide each of the rooms up as far as like the lines are concerned. So you're just kind of like, "Oh, so that's what that's what's happening there." At that yeah, show. yeah. You can tell by what everybody's wearing on their <laughs> way in. Um, totally. But yeah, so going to shows was like. You know, if it was a weekday, convincing our parents to let us all drive to Atlanta mm-hmm. and let us have like a late curfew that night because Absolutely. we wouldn't get back home until like twelve thirty or one probably, um, and just like as soon as school's out, driving in Atlanta traffic, getting to the masquerade, waiting in line forever, right, and going to going to see a show, going to whatever. Yeah. Um, what did you find yourself? I mean, obviously, since you were uh, th- since you were seeing so many different scenes play itself out in regards to, like you said, you know, you have your ska kids over here and your punk kids. Were you kind of aligning yourself to a, one particular scene, so to speak, or were you just kind of like, oh, like I'll just be me and like you know, I'm not going to be like a a pop punk kid or a hardcore girl or whatever. Like, did you find yourself gravitating to any particular scene or was it just all exciting? Uh, it was all really exciting, but I started out being into pop punk and ska mm-hmm. and. It was like, I remember, I have this like distinct memory of these dudes at one of these Penny U shows who had, you know, girls' jeans and swoopy hair and tight shirts. Of course. And my friends were like, those are emo kids. And I was like, <laughs> what's emo? And they were like, it's this new thing. All they want to do is cry all the time, listen to Dashboard Confessional. And I was like, emo sucks. And we like made fun of the emo kids. Sure. Um, cut to like the following year, I discovered Dashboard Confessional and I was in. I right. was so in. I You're was like, like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I'm emo. I love emo. And then I like really identified with being an emo kid. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You're like, you're like, I can't, I, in the back of your head, you're like, I can't believe I made fun of those people. Like, I know. I was like, those are my people. I made fun of them. So that's the lesson. You know, don't make fun of somebody until you know until you know music they listen to. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's definitely also a part of that, uh, the, uh, the, the trial and error, obviously, of the uh, you being a teenager and being like, oh, I'm never going to be like this thing. And then six months later, you're like, oh, no, I am this thing. Yeah, and I love this thing. <laughs> totally. Yeah. As you started to get more into it and obviously go to shows and do all these, these things that you were speaking of, um, how did your parents react to it? Were they kind of like, ooh, um, 
I don't know if this is cool that Allison is doing this. I mean, obviously they're saying yes because they're allowing you to go to shows, but was there any sort of uh, turmoil or strife in regards to that? Like your parents being like, uh, Allison? Um. No, they were fine with it because, you know, my dad is a musician and he grew up, you know, like seeing Black Sabbath play in like little clubs and things like that. So right. he was like into it. Um, and also I always got good grades. I didn't drink or do drugs and I was re- really anti-drinking and drug use and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And so... Um, why did why why was that? I don't know because just now no. I drink, you know, just as much as any other fucking twenty sure. eight year old does, and I smoke pot because <laughs> I live in California. Sure. And um, you know, I'm not a hard drug user. I'll never I'll never do that sort of stuff. It's like I'm just like too afraid. Yeah. Um, but in high school, I was like drinking is bad and smoking pot is bad, and I'm a straight edge. Sure. I didn't really know what straight edge was, but I would put the X's on my hands. I think it was just like, um, I had you know, a group of friends who were into that sort of stuff. And I saw them, I don't know how, but like somehow as like a teenager, I was able to like see forward and know that I wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, go to college and get a good job or whatever and do that sort of thing. So I was like, that sort of stuff is bad because you're compromising who you really are and you're, you're trying to be somebody you're not. And I want to be good. Sure. Yeah. The clear, yeah, the, the the clarity that sometimes you are able to obtain by obviously introducing those philosophical yeah. beliefs in your life, you're just like, okay, like I see the the distraction that it is to so many other people. Yeah, totally. To be like, okay, well, I don't I don't want to be distracted. Again, yeah. again, that goes back to the practicalness of your Exactly. I'm very practical. I'm very maybe I'm maybe I'm a scaredy cat too. I feel like I always uh up until like the last few years, I've always like thought of myself as like, yeah, I'm kinda like on the edge. I'm kinda like a rebel, but then I sort of realized recently i think i'm a goody two shoes sure you know like, what I mean? well, well i think there's i have tattoos and i like punk rock and i like grew up in this punk scene but like i'm a goody two shoes sure if there's a sign that says no trespassing i'm probably not gonna trespass <laughs> you know what i mean like, i'm not gonna do that <laughs> such a loser but I, but well i think i think there's a there's a difference between like obviously sort of going against the societal norms that are put together because yeah. like obviously that does take take a uh you know a courage and a challenge mm-hmm. because like you know obviously you're being like you know you're not being like all of your other peers by doing all these weird things. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, but then, but then there's an element of like, of uh, playing it. Well, I wouldn't say playing it safe, but like, I, I am, yeah. yeah, but I, I always, it always took me by surprise when people, especially like in high school, when it's like they were, you know, doing terrible at school and like, they just weren't, uh, you know, whatever, like a stereotypical teacher would say, Oh, you're not applying yourself. Mm-hmm. And it never made sense to me. Cause I was like, why are you making your life hard on yourself? Yeah. Like, you can't go to shows. You can't do these things that you want to do because you're being like a dick to your parents or like yeah. getting D's. And it's like, it just never mm-hmm. made any sense to me. I mean, I guess like, you know, everybody's got their own thing and you don't really know what's going on in yeah. someone's house. And so, um, you know, people are the way they are for good reason, I hope. But I definitely like, you know, had a friend or two who um, were, they were really smart and mm-hmm. doing really well in school and, you know, so cheesy to say, but like had a bright future ahead of them. Of course. But then got into got into some bad stuff. Got into some bad stuff and sort of lost interest. Dropped out of high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I think the thing that always scared me about that sort of pattern too was the idea that it just well I wasn't even probably even able to like uh, put a description on it, mm-hmm. but like just the apathy that comes with it. Like yeah. you don't care. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even have to be specifically with drugs or alcohol, but just like you see so many people like. Obviously, in high school, it's cool to not care. It's mm-hmm. cool to be like, oh, whatever. It's whatever. Like, whatever. Like, that's yeah. the prevailing theme for, yeah. you know, years and years and years. Uh-huh. 
and so I think it was always like that to me, that was always the sort of guiding principle where it's just like the moment I don't care, I feel like the stupid people win. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like the, all, yeah. all the people who I'm like rallying against yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I want to be the type of person who cares, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and pl- I mean, but then it is a burden to care. Oh yeah. <laughs> the more you, the more you, uh, whatever. You put in. that pressure on yourself. Sure. And, and the more, <laughs> and the more you just like invest in people and invest in the idea that like, Oh, I'm gonna put myself out there in some capacity. Like you, mm-hmm. you can get hurt pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, totally. But um, that life, it, that is, you know what I mean. Of course. Yeah. The um, uh, you mentioned something earlier. That I want to go back to is the the idea of uh, being a cartoonist because mm-hmm. I think that that is something that is so um, like as a kid, once you start to introduce like reading Garfield comic strips and like starting to get into that idea, like I think that idea comes into a lot of kids' heads, but then just, again, the sort of application of it. So is you, you were, were you really kind of, like, focused on it for a long time to be like, I want to draw and figure this out? I love to draw, and I, lo- and I wanted to be a cartoonist. I just, there was nothing in my schools where I was going that, like, led me to believe that that was, a career, like, a good career choice, which I think is such a bummer because, mm-hmm. you know, when we're kids, we all have these, like, really fantastic ideas of the things we want to be, and then nobody says, hey, if you really want to be that, let's start now, and you can be that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if a kid wants to be an astronaut bad enough, it's like, be like, are you sure? Because, like, let's get you in some advanced math shit. Right. And, like, teach you how to be a fucking astronaut. <laughs> totally. Whereas they're like, instead, they're just like, no, you should just give that up because it's not pl- real. Right. Here's you your plan I mean? B and C. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and, you know, if I were... Uh, if I had a kid today who wanted to be a cartoonist, I would be like, this is awesome. Let's get you more books and teach you more about how to be a cartoonist and not just like drawing well, but like, well, I guess because I I work as a graphic designer now, so I know a bit about like what it takes to become a cartoonist. Right. I guess maybe it's the fact that not everybody knows the the paths that you're supposed to take to like do these weird niche jobs. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, because it seems like, Usually, I mean, obviously, because it's it's easier to categorize. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he's a cartoonist, but it's like, oh, you know, you could be a colorist. You could be like, there's all these different yeah. shades within that. But it's like, you know, you, when you're whatever in fourth grade, you're not going to pay attention to that nuance. Like, yeah. unless you're like, you know, reading comics and like looking at all the the yeah. you know the liner notes. But well, maybe you called. would be looking at the liner notes sure. if somebody was encouraging you and saying, "Hey, you want to be a cartoonist? Did you know that like you could do all these things and like that's actually something you could do? Right? And like you could take." art classes for the rest of your high school career and you could apply to art school and you could like actually do this thing. Right. Um, yeah. So, so did you, when did, uh, so like you were buying books and you were do, like you mentioned, obviously you're doing stop motion animation and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I guess how far did your, your discipline take you to then where obviously it looks like it blossomed into a graphic design interest as well. Yeah. I ended up taking graphic design class like my last year in high school. Um, and cause I was already into computers and I was into drawing and um, it sort of like became this career that seemed viable. So I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. Uh, maybe that's what I'll do because then I can be an artist, but also it seems like a good uh, um, stable career choice or whatever. Sure. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I did end up going to art school and got a degree in graphic design, and now I'm a professional musician. But right. I, I still, I still but, <laughs> but you have a piece of paper. I do have a piece of paper that says... I can be a designer. I can do it. You can walk in anywhere and be like, oh, that's great. You have this practical thing that will prove your worth as a human being. Exactly, yeah. Um, 
And so, like you mentioned too, obviously, once you you felt the the compulsion to create your own music was due in part to uh, again kind of manifesting the, the the feelings that you were having in your head, and obviously being able to express yourself that way. Mm-hmm. Um, was it you know was it was it your uh, internal struggle as far as like identity was concerned, or was it like you know the the the, the sexuality that you were probably wrestling around with at the time? Like what what was it that was kind of you know the main themes that you were hitting on in high school? Honestly, it was just like I have a crush on someone who doesn't like me back, and I need to write a song about it. You know what I mean? It was sure. like way more simple than any like sexuality issues at that time or anything like that. It was just right. like I like you, and I want you to like me. You know what I mean? And so that I'm was basically pull, right. you know what I mean. Um, and also at that time, like I hadn't even thought that playing music as a career was even an option, you mm-hmm. know, um, because the people who I knew who were going to music school were like really, really good at their instrument. And I was like getting by so that I could, you know, accompany myself and I could sing <laughs> songs. Sure. And I never thought of myself as like a singer. It was just like, I can sing and I will sing these songs. I can play guitar and I will play guitar with them. Um, and it was just kind of like a, a hobby, I guess, but I did a lot of like open mics and stuff in high school and mm-hmm. really liked performing. I was about to say, did you, it, it seems like you just from watching you playing, granted, obviously it's, it's much different than when you first started to play, mm-hmm. but you've never not seemed like confident, I guess, in the fact that you, you know how to present yourself. And yeah. I don't mean that in a very sort of like contrived, like I'm an entertainer sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because there are people who get up there and you're just like, you know, I, I like to call it the reluctant frontman syndrome, where mm-hmm. it's just like you can tell where it's like mm, that person does like they've. It looks like they've got there, but at one point, I don't think that they were confident. You know, I'm yeah. sure you can see the shades of it. Whereas, yeah. like, I look at you, and it's like, oh no, like you seems like you could get up in front of people. So you were never kind of like stage fright or anything like that. Only in the very beginning, when I was like um, nervous about how people would think that my voice sounded or my song sounded or stuff like that. But, um, you know, I had already been playing in bands a little bit. I, like, played bass in a shitty metal band. And um, I had a pop punk band after that. Please tell me these names. Like, I, don't, I mean, if you're, if oh, you, are, just because I think the first band names are so perfect. They're so good. I didn't name the metal band. It was called Kapala. Okay. Which is a, um, a bowl made from the top of a human skull. Wow, that's unbelievable! Like I've never heard that. I know that's so good. I've never heard it since, <laughs> but that was our band name. I uh, love that. It was this metal band that these boys in my art class had started, and they were like, "We need a bass player who plays bass." And I was like, "I can play bass," and I had like just started playing guitar. Amazing! So I was like, "I can figure it out." My yeah. dad had a bass, and I was like, "I got this." Two less strings, perfect. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so easy. Um, so I play bass with them, and then I started my pop punk band. It was called No Offense. Okay. That that could have that could have gone. Um, you could have obviously been like a punk ska hybrid as well. Like yeah. there's that that that's definitely um, uh, interchangeable within that yeah. context. It was definitely like a pop band, but I played you know super distorted electric guitar. Right. But I've always been a I've always written pop songs. You know, sure. I'm not trying to have like blast beats right. or like <laughs> you're like let me let me raise the the BPM in this song just yeah, because I need exactly. to go faster. It was all like so 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 poppy, but like you know had that like. It was made with instruments of a punk band. So yeah. I was like, we're a punk band. Um, and then I was in that band for like a year. Also, like these bands, quote bands, right. seriously, because <laughs> we had like no songs, you know? Okay. Like 
Uh, I think the metal band, we had like maybe three songs, and we okay. were a band for like a year and a half, and we would just have band practice every week, and we would just play our songs. Love it. You know it. what I mean? And like our, we played one show, and it was at like our you know, high school talent show, and it was like two songs of our own, and then we covered Nirvana. You know what I Amazing. mean? Amazing. Uh, and then um, and then my band, I think I had like five songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, a band for a year. Practiced sure. all the time when we had five songs. Uh, and then around that time was when I sort of started discovering, you know, Dashboard. Um, and the guys in my band were, like, not as into playing music as I was, and I was sort of annoyed. Um, and so I started this acoustic duo with my friend, Josh, who was the singer, because I wasn't yet confident enough to sing on my own. Got it. So I would play guitar and sing harmonies, and he sang lead. Okay. Um, and he looked like he was in Thursday. Beautiful. And I would be up there with an acoustic guitar, and I was like... I was like in the scene, but I was so not um, one of those girls who had the look down. Sure. I was like not cool looking. Always experimenting. I was just like big baggy pants sure. and a sideways studded belt and just not a cool haircut. Sure. No idea. Thrift right. store t-shirts. That's basically, basically all I could do. Meanwhile, there's all these girls who are like looking hot and they have like the swoopy hair with all the dyed color. And I'm just like, I don't know where I fit. Right. I don't know where I fit. <laughs> sure. Um, so we would play open mics all the time, and then he and I had a falling out, and around that same time, I started playing by myself. Okay. And then, you know, Allison Weiss was born. Right, and the, the, <laughs> the inception of the, the, the titular project. Yes, exactly, and that's when I went to college, and I had, you know, more songs under my belt, and I, I recorded an EP. Um, Did you, and you went to college in Athens, correct? And mm-hmm. that's where you got your graphic design? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Athens seems, I had, I've actually never toured or played there, but Athens seems like such an incredible town. Oh, yeah. It's so great. Athens is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Huge school, um, which is daunting to some people, but I liked it. It was really, you know, big school. You, you, were, ready to, you were ready to be in a place where it's like, oh, wow, there's, there's more people here. Exactly. And there was like a downtown, and there were so many music venues and so many bands, because Athens is just a huge music city. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, REM and B-52s kind of kicked off this scene. Uh, and then ever since then, it's like you live in Athens, you're in multiple bands. Absolutely. You know, and it's like, a ba- I mean, it's basically the equivalent of Austin where it's just like this, this, yeah. this, this bastion of like cultural creativity all centered around usually schools and young people. Mm-hmm. And then it just keeps perpetuating for years and years and years. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So it was a really great place to be. <clears throat> Um, during that time, because it was so easy for me to book shows. Right. You know, I would play at coffee shops, and eventually I got a band, and I started playing at clubs, and it was it was easy to book stuff myself because I knew everyone mm-hmm. in the scene, you know? When did you start to feel like the uh, the project that you were doing <laughs> was, uh, I guess, real, where it's like, you know, people started to, like, pay attention to you? It doesn't even have to be, like, on a sort of grand level where it was like, oh, yeah, it was rad because I sold out this club, but it was just like... You know, because you have those little moments where it's just like, oh, wow, like 10 people showed up in the same way that Kickstarter was with you, mm-hmm. where they were just like, who the fuck's this Allison Weiss girl? Like, it's not a friend of ours. Like, yeah. you know, it can be something small or something a little bit larger where it's like where you started to feel like it was uh, kind of a real thing. Well, it probably, you know, I was doing it pretty consistently in college. Um, I was like self-promoting a lot, you know, putting posters up. People around the school knew who I was. People mm-hmm. recognized my name because my mentality was if I have stickers with my name everywhere, then when they see a poster for my show, they're going to say, I know that band. <laughs> of course. Right. Um, so I was doing a lot of that, but it wasn't really until I made friends with some 
professional musicians who lived in New York mm-hmm. that I saw what it was like to have like a music career. And it's funny now because those friends of mine were my age at the time. So, you know, I'm like 21, 22, and they're like 27, 28. And right. they've been like making music and they all like went to music school and they're like playing Rockwood Music Hall and doing shows. And it was, uh, it all started with my buddy Jenny Owen Youngs because um, I had like sent her a MySpace message because I thought she was funny and cool. Right. And I was like, hey, you're cool. I'm cool. We should be friends. Be friends. <laughs> and um, it's so like uncharacteristic of her, but she like looked into me and thought that I was cool too. And she sort of like took me under her wing. Like I was her little sister or something. I right. was like her pal who was playing music also. Um, and so that's when I, and I also had a friend who lived in New York who was working in advertising. So I was like sort of back and forth. I was like, do I want to play music? Do I want to be in advertising? I don't know. I don't know. I, but I think I know that I want to live in New York. Right. So I would go up there all the time. And I would book these shows, and I would play shows with my friends, and I sort of started to see, you know, people were coming to the shows. Mm-hmm. And um, I put out my second EP, which was called Alice in the Way She Likes It, and I sort of got the attention of this guy, Bill Wordy, who was the editor of Billboard, and he was, he like, you know, got his staff to make a little promo video for me, and I was up on Billboard.com, Um I was playing at Rockwood, and there were people who were like, oh, you, you should come. Do you live here? We should have you for a residency. And I was like, what? what? This is so crazy. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, I have like a year and a half of school left, and I'm like, fuck school. I don't want to go to school anymore. I want to move to New York, and I want to be a musician. Right. But my parents wanted me to stay in school, so I stayed in school. Excuse me, and pardon the interruption. At the very beginning of the show, you heard me talk about something called Howard's Hot Roommate. Now, this isn't just your average comedy web series that exists because let's be frank it seems like everybody has podcasts and almost everybody has these web series things going on but my friend john o'cohen who is a co-worker and you know he unassumingly just kind of was like hell yeah i'm kind of developing this thing and you know i'd like you to take a look at it just to you know see what's up with it and you know it's the same way as like a band passes you a demo it's like oh man do i really got to do this thing and not to say that is exactly my train of thought with what john was saying because you know frankly this was a little bit more than just uh, kind of getting in the studio and banging out four terrible songs but this is a high piece of comedy if you like sort of awkward scenarios and funny interactions between human beings and if you like comedy trust me you are not going to want to miss this meethoward.com you'll be able to watch all six episodes and they're bite-sized chunks we're not talking about 45 minutes of them trying to get like one or two laughs out of you it's it's quick it's to the point it's funny and just just do it it's it's free you will enjoy it i promise that you will uh you will walk away being like you know what that second episode's really good or like you know what that fourth episode is awesome uh, i personally like i said the the second episode I'd like to highlight that in particular. You can watch the first one to get the context of how it's all rolling because these all do make sense as a narrative piece of filmmaking. So go to meethoward.com and uh, laugh a little, okay? Now, here's the rest of my discussion with Allison. And you listen to them. And I listen to them because I'm a goody two-shoes. Well, you you were, again... I'm the, practical. The practical I'm nature practical of person. it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good because, you know, over that time I also developed more into like figuring out who I was and that was like around the same time that I came out and, you know, had my first girlfriend and realized that I was gay and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, my music is very universal and like not 
centered on those types of themes, but sure. inherently it's there because those you know it's those are the you. relationships it's I have. Right. That's it's who you. I am. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, where was I going with this? I don't even know. <laughs> well, that that you were. It was good that you had that that year and a half to kind of build your own voice yeah. even further. Yeah, totally. Rather than being thrown, especially because it's like so much. Obviously, even in the the uh, the well, I wouldn't even say it's safety. But like obviously in independent music, mm-hmm. there's more of a willingness to obviously accept people for who they are, regardless mm-hmm. of you know religious beliefs, sexual orientation, whatever. Um, but then to you know obviously when you start to get more of a mainstream notice, and then you know having to reckon with that while also being like, when when do I tell people? Like when do I yeah, publicly right? display? Yeah, was it? I presume. I mean, and so like you said, that year and a half was when you were able to kind of confidently step out and be like, "Oh, this is who I am." And I was out to my friends and family for about a year before I came out to mm. the general public. Um, well, because at the time, my friend Jenny was still in the closet. I okay. guess is the yeah the the, the, the vernacular. Term. Yeah, she hadn't yet come out. Maybe right. that's a better way to say it. Sure. Um, and you know, neither had there weren't a lot of like openly out musicians mm-hmm. you know you had Tegan and Sarah but they're like at the like the top of the of course pyramid right. so it's like of course they're fine because like that's they they grew up in that scene and they grew they they were able to turn their like you know gay strictly gay fan base into an everybody fan base and like break out of that sort of um I don't know it's it's easy to get like pigeonholed into an area if you come Absolutely. out and you're like an out artist and you like play a lot of pride festivals and play at gay bars you can get like people think of you as like a gay artist and like that's your that's your audience and that's the only audience you'll ever have right it's not applicable to anybody else yeah right. but I feel like now you know in the past five years even um it's it's changed so much because that's I guess why I was afraid to come out in the beginning because I didn't know if people were going to accept me or if that would start being the thing that people always talked about when they talked about my music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, your main I, identifier. Exactly, right. and I saw myself as being able to reach a wider audience, so I stayed hidden. But then, um, you know, about a year passed. Didn't feel great to not post pictures of me and my girlfriend on the internet because mm-hmm. I was very open and honest with fans on the internet too. I was sure. always posting pictures and I know I was gonna say it was like the, just because you since you've lived obviously like when I say lived like you've you've used the internet as your vehicle as mm-hmm. far as like getting your music out there it must have it must have been that that weird struggle to be like I can publish you know whatever 75% of my life out there yeah but I have to keep that 25% yeah was you it know? was it was it kind of a I won't even say it in a negotiation but was it one of those things where it's like when you entered a relationship you were kind of like so I got to keep this. I got to keep this close to the vest for the time being. Because yeah, of this. it was definitely a thing where like my girlfriend would want to post pictures of us because she was out and she had an internet presence and mm-hmm. you know people knew, and I would you know I'd be like maybe don't post pictures of us together because then people are gonna assume. But you know as as time went on, I got more relaxed about it, and she would come to shows, and I wouldn't be like hiding at the shows, and I was like, well, if people come to the shows, they'll probably just infer it, and then I won't have to tell them, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But then um, there was, uh, like, this point hit, and it was right around the time that the It Gets Better campaign was invented, because mm-hmm. um, there were all these, like, t- gay teen suicides in the news. Yep. And it sort of just, like, all culminated in me realizing that it was pretty important for me to, you know, come out and show people that it does get better, I guess. I mean, the It Gets Better campaign is a little problematic because it doesn't always get better for some people. Of course. Because of people's circumstances that they're brought up in. 
um, you know, and like race and the part of the world that you're in, those things all factor into whether or not it does get better. Of course. Um, but I just, you know, I wanted, I figured I, there was no risk in me coming out, so why not do it? You right. know, I, I definitely believe that like if you're, if there's no risk involved in coming out, you should come out mm-hmm. because people need to know that they can. Sure. Yeah. And with, I mean, I, I think that's a very, I think it's a very important point that you not only felt obviously responsible to yourself, but then obviously as the, the culture as a whole, because it's like, you know, the, the, the fact that you can go out there and be like, like you said, Hey, like this is, this is who I am. And then obviously it's, you know, it's just an inspirational thing where mm-hmm. it's just like people that are younger will feel the, like you said, as long as their circumstances are appropriate mm-hmm. <laughs> to where it's not like, okay, my family's going to kick me out. I'll be living on the streets. Like all these yeah. horrible stories that you obviously hear about yeah. people going through that. Um, but the, then that will obviously perpetuate it to a point where it's like, you know, now whatever kids that are, you know, between the ages of like three and seven years old, like, you know, sexual orientation isn't going to be like people are, it's not going to be a thing. It's just gonna be the same thing as like, Oh, it's, it's the color of your skin or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it obviously still depends where you live because sure. middle America is like the worst sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. No offense to Illinois. It's okay. It's a, it's a punching back. It's, it's, um, it's understandable. And no offense to Georgia. I love Georgia so much, but it's still so, so, so red. Yeah. If, you know? if you're ta- yeah, if you're taking the, the aggregate, it's like, yeah, there will always be bright spots, yeah. not only cities, but then human beings that understand. Yeah. But I love seeing all the stories that, you know, pop up on sites like Upworthy or whatever, where it's like, you know, this four-year-old boy wore a dress to school. You'll never believe what happened. And, right, you know, right. you clickbait, you look through, and it's like, oh, my God, tears streaming down my face because, you know, all the kids were like, wow, you look so beautiful, blah, 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 or whatever. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. fill in the blank with any story like that. That's so cool. Or, like, parents who, you know... Give their little girls trucks and their little boys dolls and don't make a big deal out of, of it. Of course, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I mean it's 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 awesome. And I, I just, like I said, I just like it how you were tying both of those components together in your head. Like mm-hmm. you said, the sort of you know your own identity and feeling comfortable with that, but then also like the importance that is is weighted on that, you mm-hmm. know, as well. And be like, well, this is this. Is, there's no reason for me to not do this right now. Yeah, you know? totally. And I'm like reminded every day that it was a great decision because I get so many comments and letters from people saying, you know, I came out to my parents because I, when I found out that you were gay, I like had the confidence to do it. Right. You know, you, you, you really, you do not realize the importance and the impact of these, these decisions that you make, no matter how large you are as a quote unquote public figure. Cause like, mm-hmm. you know, like there, we all have some sort of audience, whether it's like yeah. you know, your family and peers or whether it is like, Oh, 300 kids at a show. Mm-hmm. It's like, you never know what that, what that, you saying something on stage or you presenting something, how that's going to ricochet off people mm-hmm. for years to come. Yeah, seriously. It's unbelievable. Where it's yeah. just like, oh, if that person didn't say that thing at that show, I might not have, you know, whatever, tried vegetarians. Like, you never know yeah, how those exactly. things can, like, impact you. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, and so then as you as you graduated college and obviously uh, migrated up to New York, um, was it pretty revelatory when you got there as far as, like, oh, this is this feels exciting and this feels yeah. like the place I need to be? Absolutely, because all my friends were playing music, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it sort of goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier about a kid who wants to be the cartoonist and nobody around them knows anything about cartooning, so they don't become a cartoonist. But, like, if, you're, if you want to play music and everybody else you're hanging out with also wants to play music it's super fun because you all get better because you're you know working together and creating this scene and and it becomes this viable option rather than some like pipe dream sure than you observing something yeah exactly you're just like oh 
that would be great if I could get up there. Yeah, right? And it's crazy now because I, you know, I remember being 16 years old and, like, Chris Caraba was, like, a god among men. And I mm-hmm. was like, oh, this person is so incredible. I can't believe it. And then, you know, in uh, 2013, I think, he and I played the same South by Showcase and right. hung out. And I was like, this is really cool. I'm, right. like, I'm in the same scene as the person who I thought I could never be, like, because right. they were so great. They were, like in a different world. Of course. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're like, I'm breathing the same air as this person. And yeah. this is like, and not like in a, you know, idol worship standpoint, but just in like a, yeah, oh yeah. Oh. Well, like if I was 16 and I had gotten the gig opening for Dashboard Confessional, I would have been yeah. freaking out. You couldn't have handled it. But by that point, I was <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is a guy that like, we have mutual friends. Right. And we're playing we're the same peers. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it, pretty cool. It is weird too when it's like you, you, people that you once viewed as like so much older than you. It's mm-hmm. like, whatever. I remember like, you know, the get up kids and like Matt Pryor. I was, mm-hmm. I was just like, dude, he is like so much older. Like I'm 35 right now, but it's like, he's like, you know, 39. Yeah. It's right? like, and you, these people, you're just like, you were like three or four years older than me, but I felt like you were like at least 15. Yeah. You're like, that person's a grown up. Well, well, like one of my favorite stories is that in, when I was in college, um, my friend was on the student activities board. Mm-hmm. And so they, they let me open for the early November when they came down. Amazing. They came to, to Athens to play the show. Um, and I got to open for them. And I was like, so psyched. I was like, this band rules. I love them. This is so exciting. I made posters. I was like super like fangirl, but sure. like really also self promo y and I like when we each had dressing rooms and I like went into theirs and I was like, Hey guys, I wanna give you my C D and I gave each member of the band a C D. Oh which perfect. Is so silly. Yeah, you're like <laughs> I'm not gonna be practical about this. No. Just like one for everybody. One nope. for everybody, one for everybody. And um <laughs> now my manager is Joe Morrow. Right. The guitar player of early November. And that's the one show in their whole career that he didn't because he like missed his flight and didn't make it to the show. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, I was about to say, you could totally put him on the spot to be like, hey, Joe, remember that show? Well, uh, according to him, he remembers the other dudes in the band bringing back my CD and being like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, this, this wasn't but bad. But then didn't really think of it again until... A few years later when um, Soupy from the Wonder Years became, like, my number one champion and was, like, telling all of his friends to check me out. Right. And that's when Joe was, like, in managing. Right. He was like, oh, I remember this girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she, she opened up for us in uh, Athens, Georgia. Yeah, that's... when she was a tiny baby. <laughs> I was such a baby. I love it. Well, I, and I think, I think I've measured it out to where it's, like, it, seven years in being involved in independent music in some capacity, that's when the entire universe shrinks down to like, you're only one person removed from everybody. Like, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> where you're just like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I mean, you and I, obviously we're just like, yeah, like we've met, we haven't met formally, but like we've known each other's existence for years and years. and years. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, then it, it, it's just that, that one and Joe's another example where it's just like, Oh yeah, I saw your old band play in New Jersey when you came through. It was just like, Oh yeah. Like that makes sense. We played that show. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like, you're one iota removed from everybody. And mm-hmm, it's just so funny mm-hmm. how that, um, I think that either that has to do with just uh, us being stupid, being involved in this thing for so long. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, and so then uh, as you started to obviously like, you know, uh, get attention from record labels and start mm-hmm. to kind of feel um, the business practices or the, your, your business uh, results panning itself out as far as the self-promotion and everything was concerned. Um, was it, uh, was it weird? Like relinquishing pieces of control over something that you obviously, cause you just did it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so like, was it weird? Obviously. Cause I know that, 
Um, not to say that Joe is some sort of like suit or managerial figure, because <laughs> clearly he's furthest from that. His other bands call him a suit, like Entourage style. They, oh yeah, they say what's up, suit. What's up, suit? It's like yeah, love it. Really, it's like I <laughs> love it. But the uh, but you know, because it, it does take that sort of leap to reason to be like, oh, I gotta give up that control. Was that hard for you to do, or was it kind of like, oh, it's a relief? <laughs> it was weird, but it wasn't hard. It was like by the time that I, you know. Uh, was getting label attention and had you know this manager who wanted to work with me. I was so ready to not be doing it all myself anymore because yeah, yeah. it had gotten to a point where it's like I was sort of in my own little scene and I was in this this New York singer songwriter scene, but I hadn't yet you know I wasn't recognized in like the AP world or in that sort of it, I like hadn't yet entered the scene that we are now all in right and um, you know like I said it wasn't until Soupy started showing everybody my record. I don't know how, I don't remember how he found it, but he sort of like made everybody listen to it. Uh, and then people knew who I was. And then, you know, I signed with No Sleep and Joe and I started working together, et cetera, et cetera. But that's amazing that he was the shepherd. He was going to yeah. like, all right, let's scene, take notice. Like, mm-hmm. This person should be accepted willingly yeah. into our arms. Which I love that so much. And that's, I want to be that so badly. I want to, I, cause I don't know. It's, it's feels so great when you love a band and you can like show them to other people and other people are like, Oh yeah, I'm in, I love this band too. And you're like, yes, I did it. Right. It's like, you know, that's, that's why also I love my um, publicist, Jamie Coletta. Yeah. So much. She's like one of the main reasons I signed with side one. Yeah. Because she's just that type of person who's like, if she loves something, like she's making everybody listen to it. Of course. Um, but yeah, so back to, you know, relinquishing control by that point, I was spending so much time on, you know, pro, like promotion and and all that that I, you know, I wasn't really writing songs. It was all about like, what do I do next to like take myself to the next level? It was right. a lot of like, because I was being my own manager, booking agent, PR team, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, there's no time to be able to like devote yourself to the actual craft and like yeah, writing exactly. a song exactly because you're busy. Either, you know, trying to get opportunities for yourself. and it's like the hustle. It is. especially it's hard to be an artist when you're trying to hustle. It's true. And especially because, obviously, it's like you don't have the uh, convenience of relying on anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, as far as, like, other bandmates, you know. Sometimes it's like, whatever, you have a five-piece band. The one person is the graphic artist person. And then the one yeah. person's the business. Exactly. And then you're just left, well, like, no, I don't have... I don't have anybody to rely on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to, uh, I guess, do it all myself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and so then was it, uh, obviously, because you, uh, you know, you didn't really have to make a transition from, like you said, the sort of, like, New York singer-songwriter scene to, you know, the uh, the alternative press warp tour world. Um, was I presume that was just a seamless thing where it was just like, oh, like, here's this other crowd of people that is now paying attention to me. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, when I was doing the singer-songwriter thing, I had a, such a wide variety of people who were into my music, um, you know, anywhere from, like, 15-year-old punk kids who had seen a Bomb the Music Industry cover I put up on YouTube to, like, 60-year-old man fans, or I don't know where they came from, but they were coming to my shows. And, um, like, everybody from every sort of place in between, Um, which I think is one of the reasons that I've always, you know, uh, been so confident about being able to reach a larger audience, because I don't think that I necessarily fit into one genre or one scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But... 
around the time that I got involved with this, the AP scene and the, I don't know even what you would call the yeah, scene. Yeah, Warped Tour like, scene, whatever. Warped yeah. Tour sounds like such a shitty way to put it because, like, Warped yeah. Tour has so many problems. But it's the scene that I associate with, like, you know, all these labels, like Top Shelf and No Sleep of and Side One and, and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, at this time, I, I made my first record that was, like, really full band, not really any acoustic guitar on it, like, more upbeat. Mm-hmm. People refer to it as pop punk. It's not really pop punk. No, it's you know, like you said, again, it's, it's pop songs with distorted guitars. Of and course, people are like it's pop punk. Like, like, well, I mean, it's pop. It's yeah. always been pop. You know <laughs> totally. <what> I mean? <laughs> it, if there's a if there's a verse chorus structure, it's like yeah, you're you're probably going to be in the pop. Yeah, exactly. It's you like know. it's just the dressing around it, and then maybe how you actually dress yourself mm-hmm. might align you towards the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, the uh, so. Something I find interesting too, with obviously your the trajectory of your career, because you've had to, um, you know, uh, put yourself out there in regards to using, uh, you know, like you said, Tumblr was obviously a huge mm-hmm. uh, portal for you. Um, was it? Uh, is it weird not feeling like you? Um, are, I wouldn't even say like a one trick pony, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like you said, people describe you, or some people describe you as like you know, YouTube artist, and it's yeah. like you know that you're like that does that's not an accurate descriptor, but it's like, yeah. um, is it is it um, weird to kind of have that sort of, uh, I wouldn't even say like a weight on your shoulders of being like, oh, wow, like what if, you know, not like this is going to happen, but, you know, what if YouTube doesn't exist anymore? It's like the same transition that people had transitioning from once MySpace didn't become a mm-hmm. thing and invested so much time and effort into that and you're just like, where does it go from there? Yeah. Did you ever have, did you have some sort of like, a, I guess, a, I wouldn't say identity issues, but just kind of the concern that's like, oh, man, these these portals that were huge for me are like, you know, not going to be a part of my career in the long term or whatever. You know what? I don't think so, because I've never like married myself to a certain like social network or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, I love to figure out ways to use them to promote my music, but the focus has always been writing songs and making records. Right. It's not li- I've never come across a platform where I was like, oh man, I can get a huge fan base on here, so I'm doing everything on this one. Right. Like, no. I I spread it around, you know, I'm not I'm not on Tumblr really at all anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, when it was first starting out and when I was on it, it used to be such like a big community and I really loved it and I would spend so much time on Tumblr, but it's sort of like devolved into just this, you know, um place where people retweet post images yeah exactly photos of and, course and gifts of things and right so i don't really i'm not super active on there anymore because i don't really have anything to like give that community because i'm not i don't want to spend my time scrolling through pictures and retweeting them or making gifts you right. know i want to make records right you know yeah you I, I like the way that you uh view it where it's like these obviously these are tools they're mechanisms mm-hmm. for you to utilize yeah as opposed to the end all be all where it's just like if I don't get my YouTube check this month, like mm-hmm. I don't know where, <laughs> like I don't I don't know where this is gonna go. Yeah, you know? exactly. My views are down. I gotta post like forty more videos to make up for the that lost mm-hmm. <laughs> those lost streams or whatever. Yeah, and when I was first doing YouTube, it was, you know, it was so in the early days that um, low production value stuff could still get really popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like some of my most popular YouTube videos are like me, age 17, playing a Bright Eyes cover. <laughs> right. Shitty microphone, shitty video. Totally. Nothing special about it. Not at all. But because it was before the market was like so oversaturated with people playing acoustic covers. So now if you want to make a cover video on YouTube and make it, you know, quote, go viral, 
you gotta spend so much time on it, and you, it, you know it's important to have a nice camera and nice sound, and right. you know people love to do the thing where they like cut to different shots of them playing the instruments, and it becomes a, it becomes like a music video essentially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could spend a whole day doing that and covering a song, or I could spend a whole day writing music. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> or recording. Right. Something. Sure. You know, if I'm gonna record it that well. I might as well, you know, record my own thing. Sure, go and into the studio. And yeah, like, exactly. Right, do your own original material. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> Not that, that there's anything wrong with that. It's no. so great to see people do cool covers and and. Because that's, I mean, that's kind of what yeah. I mean. That's what you do when you're younger, because you obviously are trying to figure out like wh- how you want to. Uh, what you want to sound like. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're, you know, you're 14 years old and you're just like, oh, I have a very unique vision of how my band wants to sound. Yeah. You're just like, no, I want to rip off like no effects or, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, that's all you want to do. Exactly. And nowadays when I cover a song, you know, it's because I love that song and I want other people to hear it. Totally. And I want, I'm, I want to be like, hey, Alison Weiss fans, you should know this weird song from the 80s that I, is perfect. You know right. what I mean? Right. Or something like that. I'm not trying to like cover whatever the na- the latest hit was because I know that it'll get a lot get of up, views. Right. You'll get a um, lot of clicks through. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, it's just not what I'm into. It just doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, and so then you, uh, you made mention that you obviously do a lot of graphic design. Like, is that, mm-hmm. is, is that where you've, you obviously supplant your income, whatever you make, obviously with being a musician and then combine it with what you make as a, uh, graphic designer? Is that, that's basically how you're able to kind of. Yeah. That's how I'm able to scrape on by. Sure. I feel <laughs> like this industry is so like, uh, when you're a professional musician at my level, you're also a bunch of other things. Of course. You know what I mean, I'm a graphic designer. Sometimes I drive for Postmates. Right. Uh, sometimes I'll do like random odd jobs here and there that I find on Craigslist or whatever. Sure. Uh, but most of my time is taken up writing music and doing graphic design. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been doing even more design lately. I just like, last year I launched a company, I guess, because before I went as just my name, sure. Alice Weiss, and it was confusing because no one really knew that I <laughs> right, you're like design are you work. The, are they, are, is this the graphic design part of you or is this the musician yeah, part? Yeah, which of part of you is this? So I, I launched my own little design studio called Werewolf Girlfriend. Oh, okay. And... Um, through that, I do album artwork and posters and logos and all things, mostly for musicians because that's the people I know. Sure. And and I get my name out through word of mouth, so it's like yeah, you know, so and so. I made a, a record cover for so and so, and now their friend wants one. Right, exactly. Like, oh, I liked your art on this, so you do like that's yeah. why we do this. But I love I love that too because you know, as I said, I grew up making like visual art, mm-hmm. so it's fun to make visual art. And also, I I I feel like a lot of musicians. Um, don't necessarily know what they want the visual part of their stuff to look oh, like. Hardly at know? all, yeah. And I feel like I'm lucky that I, you know, I can I can feel a musical thing and put it into a visual thing. Right. Yeah. yeah you have a strong. You have a stronger not only grasp of the medium, like mm-hmm. know what's like doable. Because you know, I mean, I think my favorite thing is when people that have no concept of graphic design be like, "Oh, can you make this? You know, eagle with wings like flying against it?" You're just like. No, like the, I, yeah. mean, I can't. I can't do that to where it would look like reasonable. Yeah. But then you're just like, no, but I, I want that. <laughs> and yeah. It's like that. Those are when you have those really tough discussions of just like, I, I like, you don't. You're not living in the graphic design world. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm always like, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. But also, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with some other ideas too. That's you know what I mean? And usually, the client sees where their idea was maybe not the right idea. <laughs> totally like. Oh, that's actually good. Yeah, I think. Thanks, Allison. That's, yeah, that's yeah. a much better idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go was the um, the uh, the idea of what you've um, you know, like basically what you are obviously focusing on now. Or like you said, it's your music. You're obviously trying to make it you know um, as universal as possible without obviously losing who you are. Oh yeah, like totally. That. 
Um, My music is not universal because I'm trying to make it universal, I think is an important thing to note. That is a very important thing. You know what I mean? When I write a song, I'm not thinking, you know, how is everyone in the world going to relate to this? I think it just happens to be the way that I like to say things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a very good point. Like, you're not being deliberate about your universal appeal yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's like ah, god this is this is gonna play to everybody this is turns out everyone just likes me <laughs> <laughs> turns, turns out i just i hit all of the demographic marks across yeah, the board yeah you know. <laughs> four to 80 like yeah. i'm i'm good i yeah. mean if you're 85 like i'm not appealing to you oh my god oh my god <laughs> but the um just be well, it's like i look at people um that i'm obviously uh, built a successful career out of like, you know, their namesake, you know, mm-hmm. whereas whatever, like Frank Turner's obviously a good yeah. example. Um, are, you know, are, are there people that like, I guess you, um, sort of like look up to from a career perspective and you're just like, Oh man, like I really like how they've done this. Whether or not it's like you identify with them musically, but mm-hmm. you like, just because you do have your brain functions both ways of just being like, Oh, I can see how this career has played itself out, but then I also really like what they did musically. Yeah. Um, are there people that like you kind of look to as far as like your, your, your future where it's like, man, that'd be rad if I could be that at that spot. And I feel like my go-to is always Tegan and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, uh, I saw them play in like 2008 and it was a really like big moment. Uh, it Where'd was you like, see I saw them at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and it was the record The Con had come out like a year before, but they were doing a tour where it was like, you know, the the tour after the initial album tour. Right. Where this, th- now this one is the one where we play everything from all our catalog and not just the album that we just released. Of course. So it was like, uh, it was a really great show, and it was a really important moment for me because it was simultaneously the first time I'd ever been in a room with that many other gay ladies which was crazy. It was like a total mind fuck. Um, but then the other side of it was like, I was in this limbo and I was wanting to play music as a career and I was wanting to, um, you know, stay in school and do the right thing. Um, but I saw them up on stage and they had this stage presence that was very, you know, fun and lighthearted, but, and they somehow were able to connect with a room of 2000 people. And I was like, man, that reminds me of what I'm doing and what I want to do. And, I love that. And so it was sort of like this epiphany. I was like, I could do that. I could do that. I'm seeing that right now, and I'm thinking I could do that. It doesn't feel anymore like those are people in a realm that I'll never be in. Right. It was like my first time of seeing like a big band and being like, huh, huh, okay, okay. Maybe I could get there. Maybe I can do this. Right. Um, and their career has just been, you know, very inspiring. <laughs> they, they started out just like the rest of all of us indie bands and, mm-hmm. s- and work their way up to this huge following that they will never not have. Yeah, it's you know? true. Yeah, it's funny too because it's like they're... I am so, I am so in the minority when it comes to them because mm-hmm. like I their records, uh, everything prior to their newest LP, I'm mm-hmm. like, it's okay. Yeah. Their new record, I'm like, all aboard. New love record's it. amazing. I love their old records too. Right. Their first few records are very um, interesting. Right. They were definitely uh, the... The, to the style of the time. Of course. Um, but, like, the ones sort of in the middle there, like, So Jealous and The Con are just, like, iconic records for me. And yeah. then Heartthrob is incredible. Um, and I just, I, I think it speaks to the fact that it's, like, they, whatever, I, I, artists that are releasing what could be, you know, considered career-defining records, like, so long in the tooth as far as their career is concerned. Exactly. Is un- unbelievable. Like, That's the thing that really inspires me the most because I'm not, I, I don't see myself as like a flash in a pan style artist, you know? Technically, I've been, you know, playing out and performing and writing songs 
now for like almost 10 years, mm -hmm. which, you know, um, most people who have been doing it for 10 years are probably a lot more successful than I am right now. But maybe not. I don't know. Right. Um, I have a friend named Rachel Platten who has like a number one song right now. And she was just like a singer songwriter touring hard, nose to the grind all the time right about at the point where I think that she was going to give up. And suddenly she had this hit called Fight Song that was mm -hmm. just like, bam, skyrocket oh, yeah, sure. to fame. So that's one way to do it. You work your ass off for a super long time, and then suddenly you're at a whole other huge level. But then there's the Tegan and Sarahs, I feel like, which are just on this like steady exponential incline mm -hmm. where they just have this great career that just like keeps going on the up and up and on the up and up. And I feel like um, that's me in a lot of ways, I guess, because every year that goes by, I see the progress that I've made. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this. Oh, another person I wanted to mention was Kevin Devine. Mm -hmm. um, because I think he and Tegan and Sarah are also similar in the way where it's like they're really big in their scenes, but mainstream, right? maybe mainstream doesn't really know who they are, but they're legendary mm -hmm. to people who are songwriters. Totally. You know? They're touch to the people who love them. I mean, totally, totally. Yeah. The... Um, and I have to ask you, I mean, since you've been living in L.A. now, what's two or three years? Or yeah. is it? Okay. Um, I presume you enjoy it. Love it. Okay. Love it. Like, was there any learning curve for you out here? Nope. It was so great. <laughs> just it was just like New York. I was only there f for three years, but it like kind of wore me down because like I was a kid who grew up having outdoor activities, mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, and also um, just like the, you know, New York has so many wonderful things to offer, and it's such like a creative melting pot, but I couldn't get anything done there because it's too goddamn expensive. You live in a tiny, tiny apartment. You pay so much in rent. If you want to hang out with your friends, you have to go to a bar and hang out because nobody has room to hang out in their homes. Of course. Et cetera, et cetera. You're just, it's like all the hustle and no art, whereas I feel like out here, um, I'm somehow able to like hang out and have fun and simultaneously, I'm like the most productive I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. That, that's incredible. It's cool. Yeah, you're like, you're like, oh, I made the right decision. Yeah, exactly. I feel like people on the West Coast are, are really good at separating work and play. And like, it's, I don't know, everybody seems to have this mentality that like the time y that you spend, um, you know, relaxing and, you know, whether it be like meditation or yoga or you're a person who likes to go surfing or hiking, mm -hmm. like the, the time that you take for like your mental well-being is just as important as the time that you take to like hustle of course and do your work right to not not kill yourself working to eight o'clock at night every single night to exactly. be like oh i should like have a life yeah <laughs> i should like unplug occasionally yeah 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 it's it's definitely yeah it's definitely uh symptomatic of of the the grind that is new york city and it's yeah. just like yeah i mean it's it's just whatever it's stereotypical where it's just like oh yeah i guess you live closer to uh, a beach so there, there's that pull of like oh yeah, yeah i right? guess i'll go outside well i have a deck so i can like go out on the deck and like read a book if i right. want you at, know? at two o'clock and that's fine yeah no it's judging wonderful. Me. yeah <laughs> but it, and it, i don't feel like i've given up any of the like creative grind that i had in new york too because i've so many friends out here who are, you know, Newark transplants or people who grew up here that are that are in it and they're making great art and they're doing such creative things. Mm -hmm. But it's just like everyone's happier. Right. <laughs> hey, everybody, come on out here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Allison. This has been uh, quite a, quite yeah, a fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's So there you go. That was our conversation. That was the thing that we did one fine afternoon. And um, yeah, like I said, just just a 
good human being, right? Um, generally speaking, I try not to bring bad human beings on this show. And uh, really, it, it's funny. That actually gets me reflecting. Because uh, there, there were a few times I had sort of, uh, I don't know, some pre-call conversations with people who I'm like, oh, they could be interesting for the podcast. And then, um, you know, they might not be used to the format. So I kind of, you know, give them a quick phone call, five, ten minute overview of the show and kind of what I'm trying to accomplish. And um, there have been uh, one or two people that uh, after having that conversation, I kind of let the um, communication die down and I just don't have them on the show. Uh, because realistically, this this thing that exists is to uh, celebrate and hopefully lift up uh, not only yourself, but then the artist that is being featured, their work, their creativity. Because realistically, it's super easy to shit on everything. It's so easy to just be like, oh, can't stand that record, can't stand that person, blah, blah, blah. Especially in the, the age of the internet, where obviously it's very, very easy um, to uh, share your opinion far and wide. And so I feel like the last thing I ever want to do is bring a person on to this particular show and just have them be bitter, you know? Uh, of course, you can be bitter about certain instances in your life, and that is an emotion that all of us go through. Um, but yeah, that's just something that I don't think there uh, is any place for it within this show. So, you know, if you want to be bitter uh, elsewhere, that's obviously fine. That's your prerogative. I am not going to stop you. Um, but yeah, anyways, so Allison, great person, go check out all of her stuff and go see your live. Trust me. That's where I always enjoyed her music, enjoyed it, <laughs> enjoyed her music recorded, but, uh, it wasn't until I saw her live where she just obviously likes to, well, not obviously she just likes to interact with the crowd. She likes to cut it up, make jokes about herself, make jokes about whatever she's observing and feeling at the moment. So it's really, um, it, it's, it's charming. When not to use that in a uh, bad manner or belittling manner, but charming in the best way possible. So, um, yeah, next week we'll, we'll keep on keeping on. I've got a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I've got a, another friendversation, which is a promotion of a podcast that I love. And I appeared on, I don't know, maybe about two months ago, but I am rebroadcasting that because uh, this show doesn't get as much love as I want it to. So the uh, the particular podcast is called The Damn Fine Cast, which basically is a celebration of all things soundtrack and music related to soundtracks. And uh, I just had a great conversation. And it's funny because you would imagine that it's like, oh, yeah, like soundtracks, like what does that have to do with independent music? So much you, your mind will be blown because there are so many people as for those of you that have followed the show on a regular basis uh realize that there is a large community of soundtrack labels that exist right now that are directly linked to the punk hardcore indie music scene so anyways that will be next week and then uh please be safe everybody you've been listening to the jabberjaw podcast network jabberjawmedia.com Shh.